Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the AEW Rampage Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with the Bolivia Quiz of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review AEW Rampage and Sidge. Let's just dive straight into it. The show, of course, started with CM Punk. Oh, don't be a dickhead. I'm joking. I'm joking. Of course. The show started on the buy-in um, uh, before we start at the beginning of the show. I mean, if you're going to sell someone on watching a TV show, you can't go wrong Bloody Minoros is we're gonna talk about it obviously in detail, but my god, Suzuki versus Danielson. Even better than you anticipated? Uh, even better. What an absolute masterpiece. I can't wait to put that match over. Yeah, just I thought a, a great <laughs> a great thing to sell you on. That wasn't even on the TV. It wasn't even on the TV show. It wasn't even on the TV show. Um, it shouldn't have been, as I mentioned on the preview. It was the perfect match because it wasn't hot shot. That was never going to be a main event. It existed purely as awesome fan service, and that's goddamn precisely what it was. Yeah, it's it, it, uh, you know a lot of the time we'll sit here and say dream match, and I feel like that puts a lot of pressure on it. And yet, what a story they told! I'm getting ahead of myself. We should start at the beginning of the buy-in, uh, which was an NXT match: <laughs> Santana Garrett uh, versus Tainara. I think she was known as in NXT. Yes, I know now. Of course, it's Tay Conti. And, uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll get into the maneuvers in a second, but you came to a realisation on our preview for this that it was, like you say, a repeat of a match we'd seen on NXT. Uh, you sh- showed me in the office the slow motion match that they effectively had. This was showing NXT how it's done, wasn't it? To a degree. It was, yeah, it, I'm not I mean, saying it was a blow away match, but... It, 
looked five star compared to the zero star match they had, but it was probably a two and a half star yes. match. So it just about got that gag over the line. Because I remain convinced it was a gag. Yeah, it was. It was. I thought there was some nice chain wrestling that they 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 did some nice transitions and stuff. Uh, it was a brief match, like five minutes. Um, Conti uh, is in control only on huge crowd support for her, but uh, Garrett fights back. Forearms Conti in the face, running elbow in the corner. Um, they do a, a nice spot where they both go for a hair takedown at the same time. They both get laid out by that, and you've got Anna Jay cheering Tay Conti on to get back up. Um, Garrett goes to that handspring. Conti just kicks her in the face, fires up, hits a series, I think four pump kicks in the corner, and as a Santana Garrett comes out of that, she gets caught, hit with the DDT. One, two, three. Like I said, you know, nothing to write home about necessarily, but... When you when I compared it to what I re- rewatched on from NXT night and day, this yeah, my cynicism I suspect was correct. They did that exact spot. I like here's the thing. I don't think it was expressly produced, promoted, whatever to say. Oh look, we've got these two wrestlers available. Let's have a little bit of fun at NXT's expense now that we've got them and we can put on a better match than they did at the time. It's old news. No one cares. It was the one. It was the first to win an overall viewership in a quarter hour demo. Uh, no, quarter hour segment overall viewership. Mm-hmm. The first to beat AEW Dynamite. I don't think that that petty to care about. I think what happened here was they said, right, we need to give Ty Conti a win because we need to strengthen her ahead of her inclusion in the TBS Women's Title Tournament. Who have we got? I think someone in that room has said, oh, what about Garrett? Remember that match? And it's kind of two birds with one stone. The fact that they did that exact spot, but much better, yes. and much faster, it makes me think, right, okay, they've done something for a genuine purpose and for a little bit of a inside baseball, Easter egg, bit of fun. And it was fine, which is considerably better than the disgrace that was <laughs> the uh, rehearsal. Because they rehearsed NXT, you know, move for move, mm-hmm. on the day before the show. And I think somewhere along the line, they've forgotten in the moment like they got switched into their rehearsal brains when they realized, oh, well, we're doing the same thing we did yesterday. And I, but the whole point is you speed up and you actually bump. <laughs> so it's just a bit of fun. This. Um, I, I'm not going to go into too much detail about the video packages, but I thought they put a couple of great uh, little vignettes, uh, promo video packages on this, uh, on this buy-in. Uh, there was one uh, hyping up Danielson and Suzuki. There was one hyping up uh, Punk and Seidel just before uh, the main show. And there was a really good one selling American Top Team and the feud uh, between Men of the Year and the Inner Circle Excalibur, highlighting uh, the, the talents that they've got, um, the physical advantages that they've got. Uh, they talked about Jorge Masvidal. They had promos from him and JDS. I just thought it really gave it a real sense of... Uh, wait when it comes to that match, and it will be re- re- revisited in the main event of the evening a little bit later on. Uh, and we got Lee Moriarty versus Bobby Fish on the buy-in as well. We sort of knew what this was all about. This was going to give Bobby Fish a win to set up the fight he was going to be having with Danielson the next night on Dynamite, of course. But I still thought it was a nice showcase, this. Um, Bobby Fish getting the victory, of course, but Lee Moriarty yet again catching the eye and showcasing that in a in a while, I'm going to say a few years, but eventually he is going to be a big, big start for AEW. Uh, they exchange holds early on. Moriarty goes, uh, he's targeting Fish's arm quite a lot uh, earlier on uh, in this match. So Fish decides to just break out 
his MMA stuff and kick the crap out of him. He also hit a slingshot sent on for a near fall, snap suplex, another near fall, just knees Moriarty in, in his gut, uh, puts him in a key lock, but Moriarty uh, gets out, hits a flying back elbow, hits a Gamanguri sliding drop kick. He gets a near fall, Fish fires up though, round kick, roundhouse kick, backdrop suplex, gets a near fall off that. Uh, Moriarty again attacking the arm, hits a backdrop suplex off the back of doing that. But Fish decides, right, enough's enough. Running knee strike, exploded suplex into the ropes. Vicious that looked. Uh, and then just, just sets himself up. Nice roundhouse kick to the head to give Bobby Fish the victory here. I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed it. I was, I think it was compelling without being like really thrilling or mm-hmm. exhilarating. What I found with Bobby Fish, and we'll revisit this take um, on the Dynamite review, which should be, if not available in your feeds right now, keep an eye out. Yep, coming your way. Because they are coming your way. The about Bobby Fish is that you can tell he is as old as he is. Um, there's not a huge amount of explosivity in his striking stuff, but when he does really hit people, it really looks like he's hitting them hard. It's all very safe, of course. And I think his mind is still really sharp, even if his body's like a little bit um, thrashed. All of which is to say that without being totally like brought into the... For his style of work, with how legitimate it looks, with how much he can kick your head off, with how, as you've just mentioned, that suplex into the ropes was in, like outstanding. Like It looked awesome. It's one of those things where if you rewind it, you don't want to because you lose the magic. Mm-hmm. You just see how close they were to casting the illusion of a head drop and realistically, they just timed it perfectly. Like, everything's so great on theory when you do the recaps, but the actual experience of watching the matches, they're a little bit methodical. Like, dare I say, Randy Orton paced just with cooler, more legitimate-looking moves. Yeah. Like the the limb trap suplexes, catching the, the strike and limbs trapping them, doing suplexes. Like, it's all really intricate and nice stuff, but it's just not that exciting or pulsating. Mm-hmm. But I love the craft behind the finishes. The finish of the Dynamite main event was way better than the match, and we'll arrive at that again. But just a simple, very brutal-looking kick to the back of the head because he had his opponent felled. Like I like the... Uh, the matches on paper more than I feel them in the execution. That's how I feel about Bobby Fish and AEW. But a good way to re-establish him ahead of the Danielson match the next night. I mean, I guess it's all very obligatory. Yes. Uh, right. I don't know if you want to go and make a cup of tea I or something up, now. Because no, I'm just saying, I'm going to talk about what happened in this match. And it's going to take me a while. Because look how long my notes are for this. This Jesus match. Christ, let's go for it. Uh Ryan Danielson, Minoru Suzuki, we had a video package beforehand, like anyone needed selling further on this. Um, so initially, there is a sort of feeling out process. They are, you know, locking each other in holds and having to get to the ropes and what have you. And uh, they're acknowledging each other, let's just say. Suzuki riding up the fans. He got the full entries. He got the Kaze Nina Ray. It was just fantastic, all that. So, right. Danielson <laughs> kicks Suzuki as hard as he possibly can. Suzuki is not happy with this, and they set up the spot we'd all sort of hoped for, where he's gone, hit me with your best shot, to quote a popular song. That, he nails him with that forearm. Suzuki goes back into the ropes, and he's like, okay, my turn. Chops Danielson. They, the, all the time, that every time this is happening, the crowd are shushing themselves so they can really hear it. So Suzuki goes, right, come on then, let's have yours. 
Danielson takes a step back and hits him with that kick to the chest that staggers Suzuki again. Suzuki, right, chop for me. Kick from Danielson. And Suzuki goes, right, okay. Not for that bollocks for the chops. And he does like a like a cartoon wind yeah. up. And you're like, oh, okay, here we go. And then I jumped. Like I said, I watched this and SmackDown and Dynamite all last night, right? I'd had a long weekend, nice family stuff, but I hadn't had a chance to watch any wrestling. And I was like, I've got to watch this, and also I really want to watch this specific match, but I'm a bit tired. And Suzuki goes, four arms, Danielson KOs him. He goes down like a sack of sh- onto the floor. There's a great shot of Danielson being like, bloody hell, basically. I jumped out of my chair at that point. I knew exactly what we were about to get. We get a holy sh- chant from the crowd. Danielson gets back up, hits Suzuki with the kicks, uh, hits him with elbows, hits him with forearms. They fight out to the floor. Um, They come back in, and Suzuki is targeting Danielson's arm. Uh, He's got it in a hammerlock, and he's contorting it, sort of Pete Dunn-esque, going after the fingers and what have you. It's Suzuki-esque. But yes. um, Pete Dunn does Suzuki-esque things. uh, Danielson gets to the rope, goes to the floor, but Suzuki goes after him. Uh, Danielson counters Suzuki, who's trying to throw him into the post. He sends Suzuki into the post head first, uh, and Danielson hits a running knee strike off the apron to the floor. Um, They get back into the ring. Danielson, uh, he's got Suzuki on his knee, so he's hitting him with kicks, and Suzuki keeps just going, go on, is that all you got? Uh, Danielson grabs Suzuki, uh, does that thing where he's got the arms, and he stomps on his head uh, that we've seen, uh, goes for the cattle mutilation. He's been going it a few times, gets it, um, but there's a wonderful exchange with Suzuki, countering it and trying to roll through and rolling in the right direction, sort of MMA-esque to avoid getting locked into it. They get a pin off the back of it that uh, they have to kick out from. Danielson puts Suzuki in the corner, chops, kicks, running drop kick to him. Suzuki comes out, kicks him, hits, uh, hits uh, Danielson with another kick. Danielson fires back up, gets kicked again, fires back up, kicked again, third time, goes to fire up and goes, oh, I think I've had a bit too many here, lads. Falls down. Uh, Danielson gets, uh, sorry, Suzuki gets a two count off the back of that. Uh, he goes for an arm bar. Danielson gets to get to the ropes. Um, Danielson uh, recovers after Suzuki just winds himself up and sorts the referee's jacket, outfit out or whatever. Danielson recovers, goes for the label lock. Again, uh, goes for a pin. Suzuki rolls through and gets his feet into the ropes. Uh, they both get to their feet. There's a fight forever chant that is just, yeah, felt by everyone watching this match. Suzuki, because he's insane, does the... Right, okay, back to what we did before, but this time I'm going to put my hands behind my back and just let you get a free shot. Danielson does that. Um, again, they they hit each other with forearms here. Suzuki, yeah, it gets a bit wobbled by it, but he fires back. They both go for a double slap. They both get knocked over and knocked down as a result of it. Uh, Taz, I have to write this down. If you aren't watching this on YouTube, you're dumber than a box of rocks. Yeah, exactly right. Suzuki goes for the sleeper out of nowhere. Danielson gets out. Suzuki goes for the pile driver. Danielson backdrops Suzuki. They both bounce off the ropes. They're both going for something huge. And Danielson hits Suzuki with the flying knee. One, two, three. What a war this was, Sige. This is a total masterpiece. Um, I've got so many things to praise about it that I'm not going to be able to string these thoughts together. So just please indulge this stream of consciousness rant that I will not tie together in any meaningful way. Sorry again. First thing I want to point out, I have watched Minoru Suzuki lose countless professional <laughs> wrestling matches. He's the guy who, if you are strapping up a new champion in New Japan, historically, I've seen Tanahashi beat him loads. 
Kasutka Ricarda has just won the title or is in his third or fourth defence. Right, we need an opponent for the April show before we get into um, Dominion G1 season. So it's like a B-level show. Get Suzuki, have him go 40 minutes and it'll be amazing even though everyone knows the result. I've seen Minoru Suzuki lose so often and every time he does something like that forearm to the goddamn cheek, I think he's the hardest man in the world, helped by the fact that he is literally one of them, <laughs> and that is going to win this match. He is absolutely incredible, so expressive, so hard, so charismatic in his own unique, distinct, like, psycho, like psychopathic way almost. He's just absolutely incredible. Every wrestler's got a trick, right? Actually, before I do this, it would be so rude of me if I didn't put Taz over. I was watching this match and listening to this match, and Taz was so great on the call that he shamed me as a wrestling fan because ultimately when you get someone who knows their stuff that much, who knows what the wrestlers are doing in the ring that much, that honestly he shamed me as a, as a pro wrestling media analyst. Because I'm thinking, I'm writing a book and I don't know a tenth as much as him. When he called the cattle mutilation um, counter-attempt in the way in which he tried to neutralize how much it hurt... So, ah, can you imagine Michael Cole calling that? <laughs> and it just wouldn't work because no. he's telling you the specific ways that these people are trying to hurt each other and the very specific dark arts way that submission grapplers know how to not suffer the full extent was, of that hold. It was, you know, like Rogan-esque in terms of when I watch the UFC. Again, I'm pretty clueless. I've never physically been in that situation. But when Joe Rogan, or like you say, Taz here, says what you need to do is lean this way because it reduces the pressure on this limb or you know, muscle or you know, bone yeah. or whatever it may yeah. be. You're like, oh, yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah, he's absolutely Taz on this call. And it's not just that line's going to get quoted forever. It'll be remembered forever. But it's not just that line, which, by the way, he unleashed at the perfect moment when it was when the dawn realized on everyone watching, oh, this is a classic. He picked that moment because he felt it as well. What a voice for the fans. What a credit to the wrestlers in terms of the story they're trying to tell, how he's just so perceptive about how great it is. So Taz, wonderful. Excalibur, incredible. Just Ricky Starks is great as well, mm. but them two in particular just were so great on this call. Every wrestler's got a trick, and you see it in virtually every single modern match, and these motherfuckers totally perfected it. You will see in every match. We saw it with uh, Bala uh, versus Zayn, actually, and I put it over as such, and you can listen to that wherever you get your podcast from in the SmackDown review. Wrestler does signature. Wrestler scores near fall from signature. Two minutes later, wrestler tries to do signature again. In your head, you're thinking, oh, he got a near fall this time. If he's doing it again, that means he's probably going to get closer. Wrestler, opponent, reverses the second attempt at a signature, gets a near fall, and you just get caught up every single time. They perfected the, I'm going to do a move at the start of this match, and it is going to be paid off in thrilling fashion deep at the finish. Brian Danielson is a genius of the form. When he took that forearm, that got MP4 gift everywhere, and just took this incredible light switch front face bump, you're thinking, Christ, how much did that forearm hurt? 15 minutes later, he takes the forearm again. He bumps again. Just when you think, oh, he's going to make a cover. No, he fires back yeah. up. Starts effing and jeffing at the crowd in total fighting spirit defiance. This guy is roaring. And then he goes 
forehead to forehead, nose to nose with Suzuki in the start, swearing each other defiantly and very loudly. And at this point, if you're not standing up in your living room, fist pumping in the air like a little dork mark, I don't know what's wrong with you, <laughs> you're, you're fed pilled or whatever, just dropping that little detail so early in the match, doing some incredible work around it, and then paying it off at the just bloodthirsty glory, like the glory of this finish. This was so violent, and yet they hit each other in the same spaces. They are so ambidextrous with their limbs that they weren't, if they if that hurt as much as it looked, the Suzuki um, arm contortion spot, he would be tapping out. Mm-hmm. His arm would be broken. <laughs> They're just so good at the intricate grappling that I made you think, oh my God, his arm is going to get wrenched out of its friggin' socket. That was incredible. It's a bit that I didn't spot that Taz did, and I love Taz for it, where um, there's one submission or other, and Suzuki had intentionally reversed it, knowing that the only position he could fall into was a near fall, but he was by the ropes. Yeah. Just the rope breaks, making an art of a rope break. In 2012, Minoru Suzuki had a match with Hiroshi Tanahashi. It was the first... Japanese match, and think about this and how biased apparently Meltzer is. It was the first Japanese match that Dave Meltzer had awarded five stars in, I want to say, seven years. And it was the match that really got me. I heard all the hype about it. I thought, I have to watch this. And it was the match that made me fall in love with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And it was the match that made me realize, oh, Christ, I thought WWE had a good year in 2012. It's got now on this. <laughs> Transformed by wrestling fandom. There was not one near fall in it. They created the utmost drama from the most minimal of resources, but those minimal resources were performed so well that you just thought, oh, there's no excuse for shot kickoff faces. So when I s- buried them in NXT seven years later, when they reached parity point, it's because I watched seven years ago, people make them worthless. There was one near fall in this. It was during the moment where Danielson kept firing up, firing up, kick, kick, kick to the chest, and then he tried to fire up and then crumpled. Suzuki tried to pin him. I think that was the only near fall in this. I think there might have been one with Suzuki, but that was in, it was a really good one because it was Suzuki got a shoulder up, but it was pretty t- like he looked like like and it wasn't throwing my arm in the air. He just sort of went, "Oh, there's a gap there. I can get my shoulder up." But beyond that, I can't yeah, remember. Either way, they two. didn't do really pronounced near falls for the sake of one, two. Ah, oh, it's not great. Yeah, and I'm not saying that's bad. I love a well-timed near fall. It's part and parcel of wrestling. What I'm saying is, if you can build a match this phenomenal, not doing the thing that everybody does, it makes it special. It makes it dramatic in its own completely creative way. Um, This was a phenomenal match. I adored it. I watched it immediately after I watched it the first time, (laughs) before Punk Side Ali even. And I loved it even more the second time, having literally just watched it. And the second time, I was so caught in the fact that I was so goddamn violent, brutal, and all the rest of it. The second time you watch it, your appreciation for it deepens because there weren't even that many massive blows to the face and the chest. If you look at some of the kicks, you're thinking, I've actually seen people kick harder than that. Mm. It was all in the facial expressions. It was all in when they did these moves, how they spaced it out. You mentioned Minoru Suzuki for that first forearm was winding it up and winding it up and winding it up. They spent so long 
building anticipation for how much these moves were going to hurt that it made them feel vicariously way more painful if you watch it for a second time than they were. Daniel Bryan, as me and Murray were cooing over in the office this morning, <laughs> has scored the um, winning faller hold three times in AEW this far. He's beaten Nick Jackson, cattle mutilation. He's now beaten Minoru Suzuki by Sakuni. And he beat Bobby Fish on Dynamite with a heel hook. Every time he does one of these three things, you think that's going to be the end of the match. Mm -hmm. When you see a reversal, a counter, or a kick out, it's going to feel amazing. And because he's got two more, like at least established kill shots, this run is going to be one of the greatest runs in professional wrestling history. I can say that without any shred of a doubt. And, uh, you know, as someone who, I mean, when I started at What Culture, I, I'll hold my hands up, I hadn't seen almost any New Japan matches. I was very much, I watched WWE and I laughed at TNA and I maybe recapped some WCW as, as a fan. So I was very much Western wrestling. Yeah. I don't know how anyone can turn around and say, yeah, but you just just don't get it from, you know, Japanese performance because you can't, you can't understand what they're doing or what they're, you know, how they're putting it across. Or you can't understand what they're saying, you know, yeah. first and foremost. Like, like you say, Suzuki's face. I could have had this on mute, and I would have known exactly what was going on between both performers. I thought it was just sensational. Yeah, his face is just... He's got one of the best faces of all time. I wish I could write content about people's faces, but, like, there's no real clickability. Ten wrestlers who've got great facial expressions. It's, like, it's quite niche. But one of these days, I'll find the friggin' title, because I need to put over Suzuki's face. It's unbelievable. The relish, the sadism, the cruel sense of humor he has... Like, it's so unbelievably great. This match was a classic. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Right, shall we get on to the Rampage part of the yeah. Rampage review now? Uh, we've only just, yeah, got to uh, the actual show, the TV show. It was uh, There was a lead-in, presumably, to let everyone have a cold shower who was there. Uh, sort of five-minute video package uh, hyping up CM Punk versus Matt Seidel that opened AEW Rampage, the TV show. Um, and they had a great, uh, great match. Uh, nice handshake to start things off. 
um, Punk initially in control. They put over the fact that he's beat his face side owl four times, I think, prior to this and beaten him all four times. Uh, and he's, uh, he's picking him up and he's slamming him on several occasions. And uh, side owl uh, on the uh, third one, I believe, gets out, hip tosses Punk, catches him with a kick. Uh, he's targeting Punk's leg early on, working on his knee. Uh, he goes for the lightning spiral quite early on, but Punk slides out, drop kicks him. But Seidel recovers and hits a sliding knee strike in the corner. They're fighting on the apron, and this time Punk slams Seidel on the apron. And you just get that little glimpse, didn't you, of like, oh, yeah. I can do this now. It's that. And also, you're a bastard sometimes. Yeah. You're going to be great as a heel, aren't you? Where he's just like, mm, got him there. Hey, you wanted another slam? I'll slam him on the in apron, the hardest part of the ring. Anyway, uh, he hangs Seidel up in a, in a tree of woe, goes for that sliding drop kick after just kicking him a few times. But Seidel pulls himself up and they're fighting on the top rope and they both take a really nasty spill to the floor and just have to make it in before the 10 count. They get in, look at each other and just start swinging for each other. Punk goes for a suplex. Seidel counters him uh, wonderfully with that. And I always think it looks, it's a great visual when he's got someone held up and they just smash their knee into the top of his head. Uh, Seidel, as a result, that gets a near fall, goes to the lightning spiral again, but Punk counters, hits him with a neck breaker, uh, hits the knee strike in the corner, hits that short arm coat clothesline, gets a near fall off that. Um, goes up to the middle rope and Seidel recovers, hits him with a jumping Hurricane uh, Rana, Gets a near fall off that side. Al puts him in the ankle lock. Transitions straight jacket, but Punk counters that. Gets him in the anaconda vice. Seidel gets to the ropes. Punk goes to the Pepsi twist. Seidel escapes it. Hits Punk with a roundhouse kick. Gets him up. The commentators are screaming for him to pin him. But instead he hits Punk with the lightning spiral. Just, just Punk kicks out at two. Seidel goes to the top, but Punk gets to his feet. Avoids the attack. And then I just love this transition. So Seidel goes to the crucifix pin, jumps on his back. Punk just catches him, stops himself from falling backwards and just in this wonderful sort of shrug movement, lifts uh, Seidel up onto his shoulders. GTS, one, two, three. And there's a great look on CM Punk's face at the end of this match of like, bloody hell, he took me to my limit there. What did you think of this match? I think that when CM Punk's body catches up with his mind, it's going to be, this run is going to be as phenomenal as Brian Danielson's run already is. There were moments in this match where they weren't distracting because of anything. It put over the effort that he put in, but you still were left with the unmistakable impression that this guy has been out of it for seven years. Yes. And it's fine. It's completely understandable. Like, the sheen of sweat his hair is drenched. <laughs> his chest heaves. His, his beard looks grayer as the match goes on. Yeah, you could tell his cardio's not quite there. And it can't be. He's been away for seven goddamn years, during which time he's taken a battering in MMA, during which time he just barely... He probably worked out and everything because he loves to just train as a hobby. Mm -hmm. um, but during which time he was happy enough to just go and watch ball ga uh, hockey games and all the rest of it, but whatever. Because there were certain things he did in this match on the mental side of things that was so unbelievably great that I was just purring in admiration for. And yet when they hit the zenith of the actual action, you can tell this guy's gassed. So it's, again, it puts over how much work he's put in. But his body slam stuff is great. I love it. There were two body slam related moments in this match that I just totally fell in love with. One, either one or two things happened early. He realizes, ah, they want one more body slam. I'm going to give them it. 
and he calls to Sidal, right, it's your turn for the, the heat or what, the cutoff or whatever, like, do it with an arm drag. Or that was the plan spot, and he's picked up how over the body slam is and went, I can make it look like I'm giving them one more because how much cooler would that be if it looks completely improvised mm. and it gets reversed and how real does that feel as yeah. a wrestling yeah, match? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I goddamn love that moment. It's either a great improvised spot or he's made it look improvised because he's clever enough to make improvised stuff look realistic and great. I fell in love with that spot. A bit like, uh, I know you were really loving the the, the the spot with Powerhouse Hobbs when he, he gets caught in the, was it the spine buster? And he's just like, oh, bloody hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's so switched on mentally. You can tell he's probably been thinking about doing a return. In his <laughs> idle moments, he's thinking, if I ever came back on and do stuff like this stuff. So the seven years he spent, it feels like he spent seven years thinking about how he should come back. When in fact he hasn't, he's just that clever a pro mm, wrestler. Yeah. Seriously, when the body meets the mind, this is going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> um, another thing, the body slam on the apron. I love how you interpreted it, because that's another great reading of, oh, I'm just a bit of a prick. I'm CM Punk in my core. I'm just a bit of a knob. I also love the fact that the story is, can CM Punk keep up? And in the end, it's going to be answered in the affirmative when he wins the title. But for now, he's working through the beats of that story, one of which here was glorious. He's doing body slams. He's CM Punk. He's been away for a while. It's like, well, why aren't these guys doing this? Because I'm the old guy. I know the tricks. Sometimes I know that the basics work better than a risky flip. I'm going to start doing body slams. And what's more, I'm CM Punk. I'm going to get the move. How cool is that? I'm hurting people without extending too much effort. And then, midway through this match, he realizes, well, hang on, apron there. Didn't really do that much of this when I was around, but that looks really painful. I'm going to do my really painful move in a really more painful part of the ring. Just the slow transition to a guy who's really getting how to work in 2021. Chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. There were moments during the uh, part of the match where the action intensified, they're going towards the finish where it was like, oh, he's clearly knackered. And as I said before, I don't mean to repeat myself as much as I do. Oh, he looks tired in there. <laughs> but you pointed out the finish, that little moment of, oh, how clever is he to realize in a split second, I can win because he's made one mistake. The little moments where CM Punk is putting himself over as the cleverest goddamn guy in professional wrestling right now are more exhilarating than a totally cardio-driven CM Punk in a wonderful cardio, cardiovascular shape working the same match everybody else does. When the body meets the mind, this is going to be phenomenal. And a quick word on Matt Seidel because he was, oh, he was know, incredible. fantastic as well in here. I did like, it was quite a bit early on where it might have been just immediately off the back of those slams where he's like, I'm not just here to be a body in this match. He was like, he took CM Punk down and then he drank in the audience to be like, you know, you've paid to see this guy, yeah, and I'm yeah. beating the shit out of him, yeah, sort yeah. of thing. No, he was awesome in this match. He and he can go to, now. He can go to Leo Rush. I haven't. You know, we'll talk more on the dynamite stuff. But he, you know, he's got the argument of like, yeah, I lost, but I took him to his limit. Like I was this close yeah. to beating him, sort of. It's thing. It's the platonic perfect AEW match. The guy gets over in defeat. I say it all of the time, and it's never less true. And I'm going to sound like a, another chill for AEW here, but like you say, that moment where he slams him on the apron and does the oh. having watched that and watched Brian Danielson. Like I'm like, oh my god! Imagine if these two fought for the title, whether the title, whether either yeah, of them is a champion been. or the champions just up there or whatever. As both as they are now, there's an argument to be made that both of them could turn heel, like yeah. in that match, to yeah. be like, and like you say, because especially like Punk could be like, oh, he's probably getting the better of me, so I'm gonna have to cut a corner here, yeah. or Danielson because he's just 
he's got that edge to him where, yes, he's one of the best, purest baby faces there is, and yet somehow he can have a feud with the burger at the Royal Rumble, yeah, yeah, for yeah. example. So Game yeah. two in a tag team versus the Bucks is my current oh. AEW dream match. <laughs> Mouth-watering stuff. Um, we get a promo backstage. Um, uh, the Dark Order are obviously ecstatic that not only is Hangman Page back, he's fighting for the title, uh, but they got issues with the super click, of course. Those sons of a gun. No, 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 that's gun club. Yeah, sorry. They challenge the uh, the super click uh, to a match that I'm sure we'll revisit on another podcast very soon. Uh, and then we get the Bunny versus Ruby Soho. I've got mixed emotions uh, about this one. Um, a lot of neck stuff with Ruby Soho. There's a bit where she took some rough bumps. There's a She gets the, the cheeky Nando's kick or whatever. But also, as, as she's recovering from that, she's sort of bent over. And she gets drop-kicked with her head and the back of her neck right into the turnbuckle. That look, it sucked. Uh, and then Bunny, again, targets it throughout this match. Uh, as Soho's on the uh, on the top, she gets slammed into it. Uh, so it's slammed into the top of the turnbuckle sort of thing. Yeah, rough, rough old bumps, but a nice story to be told there. Um, eventually, though, Soho makes a comeback. Um, she's uh, she's in control. Then Bunny gets her in a German suplex off the middle ropes. She goes for a finish. Um, and amongst all this, Bunny's got a few near falls and done the done the shock face. But it almost works with the Bunny because she's bonkers, basically. Anyway, the the finish. Uh, it looks like Bunny's going to hit her finishing maneuver, but Soho counters into a backside, gets the pin, effectively steals one, dives to the outside. But then I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm giving it more leniency because it's AEW. But she was completely vindicated in immediately trying to get out of Dodge because the moment she'd won the match, she's recovering on the ramp. She's like, oh, bloody hell, you know, got away with one there sort of thing. And she turns around into an attack from Penelope Ford. And the story we've seen told quite a few times with these two gets played out. And But these two, I mean, Ford and the Bunny, they attack her, they beat her down. Apparently Ruby Soho's got, not got any mates now. Where was, you know, Statlander, Rio, whatever you want to say. But regardless, Soho gets clocked with the brass knucks and Penelope Ford and the bunny stand tall. Intrigued to know what you made of all this. Yeah, the post-match was absolutely rotten. As you said, like, they, that really pisses me off when they go to the trouble of establishing loose alliances and then just forget about them. Yeah. When it's convenient for the angle, because if you're going to go to the effort, it pisses you off more, it deflates you more when you've thought about it and you think about it more than they have in this moment. Maybe they just forgot. Maybe they thought, oh, well, they'll forget about that because we really need to look like the heels have got their heat back. And it's like, don't look me off. If you're going to go to that effort and make me think about these connections, like, keep them aligned loosely. That was annoying. The match, though, I thought was a massive over-delivery. Um, we've seen enough of the bunny of late. As I've said, they've got problems with They don't have many side aisles. Again, there's millions of examples. I'm using the... Quickest one to mind because we've just talked about them. They've got a million side aisles. Guys who can lose and work great matches. Mm. So much so that you don't mind seeing them get beat over and over again. That was becoming an issue with the Bunny because she was in that slot far too often where other guys like Seidal and Garcia can slot in and out. But, in a massive credit to someone who I was really bored by, I thought this match was really quite good for how long it was, um, for how little importance was placed upon it in the build. Like, they went at it really, really hard. They constructed something really dramatic. I had loads of time for it. And uh, Ruby Soho rules. And I keep, in a quiet strength of this women's division, I'm umming and awing over who I think should win this uh, TBS title a yes. lot, which must mean there's depth there. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, you know, in the end, she's obviously going to win this feud and she's hopefully going to hit 
both of them with riot kicks to stand tall, whatever it's called, to stand tall at the end of it all. But yeah, issues with the finish and the post match. But yeah, the match itself was was really enjoyable and well, an micro banger. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right, we get the the back and forth before uh, the main event of the evening um, between. Uh, Dan Lambert and Chris Jericho effectively flanked by the men of the year and the uh, ATT guys and uh, the rest of the inner circle. Uh, Dan Lambert talks about the inner circle jerk. He says JDS has been bashing brains in for years. This is, of course, his first match in AEW. Uh, Jericho says, oh, I remember my first match. Why you make your grandma to make you a cake? And the inner circle are going to kick your ass. He says, there's no one crazier in AEW than Chris Jericho and the inner circle. See you tonight, bitches. And then it's time for the main event. <laughs> you prick! I noticed instantly. We've got a little soundboard, obviously. That wasn't Wilborn talking, and we've got it's it's going to go out of control because we've already got one full eight buttons. Yeah, and then you go, you flick a button, and there's like so there's a second bank. So there's yes. twenty four in total. We're in the second bank, and I saw more colours and buttons, and I'm thinking, ah... Oh, it I, just keeps going, this. Yeah, look, you can have three three banks. So, yeah, 24 potentially. I think you can even have more. I don't know. I'm scared to, to test this. And I saw... Ooh, there's more. So, hang on. <laughs> he's, uh, he's got a prep. But, yeah, he's got the Mark Henry button. Yeah, I've got a Mark Henry button. Uh, listeners to Wrestle Culture, we now all know now, of course, I've got one of my favourite quotes. You got a journalism for that? You're going to be joking me! Which we'll use whenever, uh, I don't know, a report gets something wrong. There's another one. If you've not debuted it yet, we'll uh, we'll keep the listeners on the hook. Oh, yeah. It, there, I have debuted it, but we'll save it. We'll save it for a, for a later date, no doubt. Uh, let's hey, get... Hey, soundboard. Hey, 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 hey. You are right. <laughs> <laughs> Main event time. Uh, it is uh, JDS... And the men of the year versus Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Jake Hager with Jorge Masvidal and Dan Lambert at ringside. Order if they'll get involved. Um, and a shot of Paige Van Zandt and her boyfriend and some more ATT people uh, there. <laughs> so we have the big entrance, the big Judas sing-along, as you would expect. Dan Lambert comes out, he's furious. He is absolutely foaming at this reaction he's getting in Miami of all places. He's pissed off. He demands that they sing him and his team to the ring as well. Um... So we start off, it's uh, Scorpio Sky, and Sammy Guevara starts off the match. Uh, Sky hits him with some elbows. Guevara does some flippy, mad stuff to, to recover. Jericho gets tagged in, and so does Junior Dos Santos, who looks incredible and just, just clearly relishing this moment. Uh, Chris Jericho thought it was a good idea to throw hands with a former UFC heavyweight champion. It wasn't. It looked a little bit sloppy. Yeah. It's his first match, but I I just sort of allow it for, for the, the just the sheer thrill of it all. Jericho's like, well, I've had enough of that. Gets out there, tags in Jake Hager, of course, who's got a more you know, the MMA background. They put over his record, and there's a sort of cagey back and forth between the two of them. Uh, Hager takes down JDS, who recovers, and just knees him as hard as he can, can into the corner uh, to allow uh, the men of the year to take over. Um, Scorpio Sky comes in. 
Hager eventually manages to make it back to his corner, um, and he gets Jericho, who tags in, immediately jumps out to the floor and confronts Dan Lambert, but more specifically, Jorge Masvidal. That allows the men of the year to sneak attack and beat Chris Jericho down on the floor as we go to a picture-in-picture break. Uh, the men of the year dominating throughout all of this. We come back. Dos Santos is back in there. Good stuff. Power slams uh, Chris Jericho for a near fall. Uh, Ethan Page comes in. He uh, misses a kick. And Jericho then manages to get, get some separation. Hits him with an inseguri. Gets to tag to Sammy Guevara, who just comes in and runs wild. He just looked all the way like the TNT champion that he is. Double springboard cutter on Sky. Spanish fly on Ethan Page. Um, in comes Jericho again. Springboard do- drop kick on Ethan Page. Double axe handle on Sky. A lion salt for a near fall. Everything breaks down. Huge fight out on the floor. Something happened. I've subsequently read what this was, but there was a huge bap, and I had no <laughs> idea why it was because uh, apparently it was Paige and Sammy Guevara doing something mad, but the cameras weren't focused on that. They were focused on uh, Jake Hager and Junior Dos Santos. Uh, they go through a table. Uh, Hager puts Dos Santos through a table, and it looks like maybe in a circle have got the upper hand as a result of all that. Jericho goes for a code breaker. Sky counters it into a TKO attempt. Uh, Jericho counters that into the walls of Jericho. He's got him in position. It looks like he's going to have to submit. But then Paige Van Zandt, who, as I said, we saw was sitting ringside. She jumps the barricade. She jumps up onto the apron. She gets the referee's attention, basically saying, I'm going to come in there and fuck him up. The referee goes to him. Uh, the referee goes to her, sorry, and therefore doesn't have his eyes on Chris Jericho, who gets yet again nailed by a Jorge Masvidal running knee. That allows Scorpio Sky to get the pin. Timings are a little bit off in terms of the post-match here, i.e. I'm sure they said, well, in the final couple of minutes, you'll beat him down, and then, well, what's about to happen will happen. In reality, it was a bit longer than that, so they just spent quite a while having uh, the entirety of American top team, not just the people involved in the match, not just Dan Lambert, not just Jorge Masvidal, but anyone who fancied putting a kicking in, uh, who was sitting around ringside jumping in. Paige Van Zandt's taking selfies whilst all this is going on. They're beating down uh, everyone in the inner circle, uh, but more specifically, we don't have to beat down Jake Hager and Junior Dos Santos. They've taken each other out of it. But specifically, beating up Chris Jericho. Um, and it looks like they are murdering him. He's getting destroyed, basically. When Santana and Ortiz return, um, the inner circle reunite effectively. Santana and Ortiz slide in to make the save. Chase off uh, Lambert's gaggle of bastards. And the inner circle get a nice chant as the show closed. Chris Jericho being held up like your mate on his stag do when he's too pissed to stand, basically. But uh, a thrilling conclusion to Rampage. This goddamn ruled so much, and I've got a bullet point for you for the preview. Citrix's most generous AEW take ever. <laughs> because ordinarily, if something as cool as whatever happened sounded to be, you should bury that because the camera crew missed it or they within the chaos of this tremendously fun trio's main event. Someone's got the timing wrong. They can't do split screen, whatever. I needed to know what that was. But I was just so thrilled by how overwhelmingly fun and awesome and action-packed this was that it felt like, Jesus Christ, one of the most famous Raw matches ever, one of the best Raw matches ever to this day. Uh, Radicals and... Who the hell is it? It's fully rock and too cool versus radicals 
Triple H and I think X-Pac, and there's a 10-man tag. And it's ballistic. <laughs> there is so much going on. It all starts off, and it just breaks down instantly. Like, it doesn't even start. It just breaks down. <laughs> there's a moment on the ramp where The Rock and Triple H are wrestling. And, of course, I want to bring this to mind because I can't be accused of bias here, but it's fine. It's both great. There's a moment where they're doing this thing where Triple H is about to um, suplex The Rock on that old 2000 steel ramp on Mm. the slope. And The Rock does the thing where he hooks the leg to reverse the thing, and then he suplexes uh, Triple H. And The first time you watch it, you're thinking, it's a sound out of sync here because... He's hit that before... Now, you can hear the sound before he suplexes him on the ramp, and you're thinking, is it it out of sync? And then you're thinking, no, someone's just got hit with a chair in the ring that's just too much to capture, (laughs) but it's thrilling. The fact that these things are happening all around creates this chaotic, immersive, thrilling experience. I got that exact same vibe during this trio's main event. Sammy Guevara looked fabulous. His stuff looked great. It was so thrilling. Chris Jericho, like, we need to publish the booking of this company yet again. Throughout the slow end of the MGF feud, I think everyone in their nan was thinking, can MGF just win this already? Because it's really good, it's really worthy, it's just going on a bit too long, and everyone's ready for MGF to move on. Everyone's thinking, Chris Jericho can go on tour from Fozzie for all I care. <laughs> and then Chris Jericho suddenly becomes part of the most white-hot feud in goddamn <laughs> AEW right now. Like, it's not my favorite thing. I can think of at least four things that I am more high on than this, and yet this is the hottest thing I think I've ever seen. <laughs> it's so wild and hot, yeah, and everyone's so insane for it. It's just taken me out of like by complete surprise. Everyone's mad into this. It's thoroughly infectious, even though I think some of the verbiage is putrid. Even if I like Danielson and Suzuki and Punk and Omega and Paige Moore and Allen and MJF and all the rest of it, people are absolutely. You take these crowd, this feud in any of the year in American TV history from 2001 onwards, because 2000 was immaculate in WWF. From 2001 onwards, up until every, this is like the hottest feud in any of the year that AEW hadn't existed. <laughs> it is wild. People are mad into it. I should criticize Junior Dos Santos's punches because they did not look good. I'd. Muscle memory went on Twitter. I saw someone saying it was the worst thing they have ever seen. I thought, oh, Christ, a disaster of on the war night, on the head-to-head war night, a disaster in the main event. And it's like, I get it. The punches didn't look great, but he looked so up for it. He, he, looked, looked, yeah. he looked so up for it. That bump, the way he landed just on the top of his neck, that was a bloody four pillars of all Japan. Bump that. <laughs> the way he just got on his, I don't think it was on purpose, mind you, but it still had the same yeah. potent effect where he went through the timekeeper's table. That looked awesome. Yeah, his punches looked rubbish, but it was just too much fun. It's one of those things where I'm a pedantic guy. Um, I couldn't be pedantic because the the whole vibe and the feeling and the atmosphere was so molten that the few bad punches I didn't really yeah. care that much about. I can understand totally if you want to apply stance to that, particularly if you're as big on MMA as you are on wrestling. I can imagine there's a big disconnect. Yeah. But I'm not really an MMA guy, so it doesn't really bother me. I but am, and it, I loved it. So It should, go, it should not go unstated yeah. that people are going to think... It's clown show that Junior Dos Santos has been involved in. There will be the optics of that. I can completely understand that. I personally, caveating it with objectively not great. Subjectively, this is so much fun. And it speaks to what we talk often about grading on a curve. And what I mean by that here is 
how often have we sat here and gone, and I know it's a different kettle of fish with this rampage and what have you, but how often have we said, oh, you know, you get to the main event of rampage and the crowd are tired. Now, obviously, it's that's different because they're doing dynamite beforehand and what have you, but that you were completely within your rights to expect an exhausted crowd who've just couldn't watch Danielson Suzuki for nearly half an hour and Punk Seidel and gone, I think that's me spent, you know, lads. I think I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll clap and cheer for the main event, but... Uh, and then, like you say, the reaction this got, people were, were apoplectic that the inner circle didn't win. It got all the required heat it, it, it needed. Santana and Ortiz, the inner circle reuniting, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I thought it was a, a great conclusion to a show that as I was watching, I thought, you know, there's a, there's a chance that this show sort of ends on a bit of a bum note. Yeah, but... I think that they should look at these, and again, I don't want to go into the debate, the logistical debate of hiring a venue, producing a show in it versus just taping something in the same venue a few days earlier. Cost-wise, it's impractical. But do something with dark and dark elevation. I know they've done something with dark. Do something with dark elevation as well. (laughs) Do them both in the studio because, my God, I'm expecting an hour and a bit maybe of dark elevation, then the buy and then the rampage. So you're getting basically a a three-and-a-half-hour show. Look at the reaction of the main event. That should be the maximum for TV. Maybe pay-per-view, you go an extra hour, but for TV, when you look at the reaction of this main event, and as you astutely point out what came before, before, look at what happened before. <laughs> um, that's obviously the optimum time across which to promote a show because, my God, like, I shouldn't love this inner circle top team stuff no. as much as I do. It's not really my kind of thing. It's, imp- it's irresistible. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of problems with it that we could sit down and, and cherry-pick out. Yeah, there's like, one, it's Jericho's patter. Well, yes. And Dos Santos punches. Like, and yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm well on board it's with it. It's all very macho for me, and I gravitate towards this company because I like the irreverence of a Cassidy in the books, and I love the pathos of a page. This is super macho pro-wrestling stuff. And I feel like a goddamn alpha male with a huge cack when I'm watching it. <laughs> well, let us know your thoughts on AW Rampage and, of course, the buy-in that preceded it on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... And I, sorry, just to address that point. I like some machismo. I love Minoru Suzuki. This is like jock energy machismo, yeah. a bit like lowbrow stuff. And I'm, goddamn, I'd love to be thick and be all in on this. Follow me at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Whole host coming your way. The SmackDown review is available right now. We're going to be reviewing Dynamite later on today and previewing uh. Monday Night Raw as well, unfortunately. Uh, but for now, this has been the AEW Rampage review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 